Am I on? Oh, there I am. Good morning, Grace Chapel. Yeah, my name, if you don't know me, Wade Keenest. I'm one of the leaders in the Sunday School. And actually, before we start, we will open up in prayer. All right. Father God, we are thankful for that truth we just sang, that you are the one who has paid our debt, um, allowed us to live a life in Jesus, allowed us the hope for eternity, allowed us to join um, your message or the sending of your message across this world to be your witnesses. So we ask for you to bless this message this morning. May it be um, about you in truth. May our, all of our hearts be good soil for it to be planted in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we journey to Rome to visit or revisit Paul in the Roman prison, we are going to take a turn to the north. We are going to go to a little country called Norway, very close to my heart. I have some Nordic heritage. Um, Norway, if, if you don't know, it looks like a drop of water, basically, a little thin spout and then kind of big bulbous at the bottom. And if you don't know much about the geography of Norway, you live on the coast, basically, because the inner portions of Norway are mountainous. A lot of it is just in an uninhabitable. And so you live on the coast, except if you're in the north, because those mountains go right up to the ocean. So if you want to live in the north, a lot of places, you've got to live in one of those little archipelago, archipelago islands on, this, on the uh, edges there. And so we're going to visit the fishing village in northern Norway called, and I'm going to slaughter this, Henensberg. That sound close enough? That's my fake Norwegian accent. Okay, it's, you can't see it now, but you are on the, this, and actually, there's the mainland, and then there's a mountainous island, so they had to pick an island past the, the coastline, and it's just those little dotted islands, and so if they want to live there, they've got to make their living on these little islands. So Norwegian folks are a hardy folk. You have to be if you're living there. So they squeeze themselves onto these few flat islands, and they live shoulder to shoulder. You know, cozy would be the positive term. Crammed may be more accurate, because those houses are like right next to each other. But they must love their life up there because they, they choose to live in the North Atlantic, right off the coast. And they love one more thing, and we know they love one more thing, because that is soccer. And how do we know they love soccer very much? Well, this next photo, they built a soccer field <laughs> on an island. They love soccer enough to spend one of the most precious resources they have, which is land, to make an island. In fact, you, you can't see it in the picture, but they had to move their fishing, you know, their, their living is fishing mostly, so they had to move their fishing apparatus out to the hilly sides to clear space. You can tell what someone loves by what they spend their time and resources on. All right, we are in week two of our series in the book of Philippians. And last week, Jason kind of introduced us to Paul, who was writing this book from a Roman prison. He writes to the church in Philippi in response to the church sending him aid and assistance. Yeah, at that time, if you were in a Roman prison, you don't get meals. You don't get a lot of the stuff that you get here. Rome, you know, if, if you didn't survive in a Roman prison, you know, no skin off their back. So, you rely on people from the outside taking care of you. 
In fact, as an aside, this is one of the markers of the early church because they believed when Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me. So you have these tales of Christians going into prisons that they might not even know some of the prisoners, but they would bring aid and food. And to the world around them, that was, why are you taking care of people who are not part of your your family? That was one of the many ways the early church kind of delineated themselves from the world around them because they were willing to love people, even the lowest of society who was in prison. Prisoners relied on help from the outside to survive. Philippians Christian heard, heard that Paul was in prison, and so they send aid, and then they sent a helper named Epaphroditus, who we'll, we will revisit, I think, in a week or two. More on his story. And last week, Jason talked about one of the more well-versus, well-known verses in the entire letter. It is... There we go. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We, we jokingly refer to these as cross-stitch verses. These are verses so well-known that your grandma probably has it cross-stitched in her basement. And you know, this, is, this is a great one. Um, Paul is confident that God's faithful work in the lives of the Philippian Christians, from the point that God started in their life, to the point that he will return, he is going to be faithful the entire way to continue to work in the Christians' lives to make them into who they need to be, who he's called them to be, to be actually Christ amidst the people there. So let's dig in. So we, starting in verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. I mean, the Philippians obviously knew Paul's situation because they sent aid, but Paul feels the need to clarify that from the outside, it may look like his ministry has failed. He is in Roman prison. He can't go plant churches. He can't meet and encourage the churches he's already planted. He lost his freedom. He can no longer advance the gospel in the regions he has yet visited. But don't let the circumstances fool you. People are still hearing of Christ. God is still working in the life of Paul in this prison. And this makes me chuckle to think about. Um, he, it's, he says that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. The imperial guard was the, the, a set of soldiers set aside for the, the, the Roman emperor. And one of their jobs was to watch after prisoners. And so they literally would be next to the prisoner, often chained to them. And so here's Paul, there's a shift change, new imperial guard comes in, and you know, he's chained to Paul, so he's sitting there, and the guard turns to him and says, so, what you in for? And Paul, a little smile across his face, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and so for the four, six, eight hours that the shift has, Paul has a captive audience for him to explain. And the reason he's in there, in prison, is because there was a riot in Jerusalem. Months, months prior, actually years prior at this point. And so, and there's, in the Romans are trying to figure out what's this Christian? Is that a Jewish sect? What's the difference? Why would there be all this angst and violence around it? So Paul has a chance to explain, well, this is what I believe. This is what you need to know. And he has a captive prisoner. You know, eight hours later, new shift change, new person for him to talk to. So he says that, that all the imperial guard knows he's in there because of Christ. 
And he even says you know, everyone else, because you know, as people are coming in, his trial is coming soon where the Nero is going to have to decide whether to let him go or whether to execute him. And he has to explain what is the Christian faith. So you know, he has Roman officials coming in and saying, okay, what is, what is up with this? We don't understand. If you follow in Book of Acts, every step along the way, every leader had that same question. What is going on? I don't understand you Jewish people. Why would, why would there's this violent reaction? So Paul has the opportunity to lay out in front of him what is the difference that Christ makes in his life. God is faithfully working in Paul's life, even in suffering and trial in his. He could easily check out, feel sorry for himself, but he knows that wherever he's placed, he can be a witness. People are hearing the gospel who normally would not have had the opportunity to hear. So moving on. The result of this, most of the brothers had gained confidence in the Lord <clears throat> excuse me, from my imprisonment and dare even to speak more to speak the word fearlessly. You know, because of God's faithfulness and Paul's commitment to be a witness, the gospel is advancing, and this is encouraging the Christians in that area. Christians are seeing this example, and they're taking encouragement from this. And this is going to be one of the themes we revisit every week in this book, this, this idea of encouragement. As we travel through the letter, Paul's desire to encourage the Philippian church we should actually, you know, there's going to be several themes. We'll see joy. We'll see advancement of the gospel. Jason went through them last week. Encouragement. Sanctification, the idea that Paul is being made closer to like Christ throughout his life. We should actually print these off like a bingo card. Every week you can kind of check off when you see, oh, got that one, and then yell out bingo when you have all four. He actually, in the, in the future, part of the letter, I'll steal some of Ken's thunder, he's going to say, he's going to explain why he's doing this. He said in 3.17, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters. Pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Now this raises kind of two questions that we should all be pondering in you know, the next couple of weeks as we go through it. The first one is, who in our lives do we have as, as examples of a faithful Christian? You know, someone who who is growing in mercy, growing in grace, someone who is growing in self-control, someone who the fruit of the Spirit is taking root. Um, I would love to pause at this point and just, you know, if we, were, if we were in a small group, we would do this. We'd take the microphone out, we'll just pass it around. Who, who in your life have you seen as an example of this? Because it'd be encouraging just to hear how people have, have been an example of Christ in your life. And the second question we have, of course, following is, are we a Christ-like example to others? I mean, you know, are people looking at our life and being encouraged to live as Christ? I mean, I don't mean this as like a guilt-inducing statement. This is more of an encouragement. And we have an incredible opportunity because people see our lives. People we don't even realize are watching. We have, example, we have an opportunity to be that example, to point people to Christ, to ask, what is this difference in your life? All right, moving right along. Paul's going to share a different piece of news now. And it kind of follows on the first one. He says, so he ends, people are being encouraged and they dare even to more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach Christ, they preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ 
out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from a false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. It is, it is strange to think of jealousy as a motivation to advance the gospel, but it's probably naive to think that every Christian service is done with pure motives. You know, while one grouping of Christians in Rome looked at Paul's imprisonment and were encouraged at the way the gospel was advancing in his imprisonment, they take that as an encouragement to do the same wherever they're, they're placed. But there's another group that sees it as an opportunity, an opportunity to cause trouble for Paul. I mean, Paul doesn't give us much details and doesn't dwell on you know, what they're attempting to hurt, how they're attempting to hurt them. It's, it's a bit ironic because several years earlier he writes a letter to the church in Rome where he says he admonishes Roman Christians to walk in de- decency, not in quarreling and not in jealousy. Not everyone got the message. I mean, first we can be confident that the message that they're giving is accurate. In a sense, there is no heresy because we know from Paul's life that he had um, no hesitation to call out heresy wherever he's, he's speaking. In fact, if there was heresy, we'd probably have a couple more paragraphs in the letter of Philippians addressing that. And more interesting to me, is, as I read and studied, is he doesn't feel the need to defend himself. You know, his reputation is being, is, is being besmirched, to use that old, old-fashioned word. Yet he doesn't feel he has to necessarily defend himself. Paul doesn't pull rank as an apostle and demand that they fall in line. He avoids justifying himself from the opposition. I mean, his primary concern is that Christ's reputation is being raised, you know, regardless of what happens to his own. You know, any offense that he may feel from errant preachers is overwhelmed by that satisfaction that people are learning accurately about Christ. And this is a strange thing. He even rejoices in it. You know, another theme going through the book. So, and as we see joy throughout, throughout the Philippians, I always look to what, what is causing this joy in Paul. In this case, he is joyful that the gospel is advancing. People are hearing who Jesus is. So Paul started talking about how the advancement of the gospel happens even while imprisoned. He talks about how the gospel is being advanced even when people are doing it for impure motives. And finally, Paul is going to look ahead to what his future is, what's going to happen at the end of his trial. Um, Paul could be fully exonerated at the end of this when he meets Nero. He could be, let, he could be free. And actually, he foresees that's what it's going to be. So as we, as we continue, in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So Paul uses the term salvation to mean his end of the trial, he will be released. He, he believes that will be God's will. And he goes on, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And this is what he wants the Philippians to hear. This is kind of his core, core message. Though he expects a favorable outcome, he wants to, he wants Christ to be glorified in his body, glorified by what he does, 
as he stands trial and even beyond. If he were to result in his death, he wants Christ to be glorified. It is such a paradigm shift, at least for me. It's just, um, it'd be tempting. Oh, sorry, I jumped ahead. This reminds me of the apostles. We're going through the book of Acts in the Sunday school. Um, and one time, Peter and John, um, they healed a man. They get brought up before the, the, you know, the Jewish leadership. They're firmly admonished, stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. Bad things will happen. Stop talking about Jesus. And so they leave there. They go back to the people to report what happened. And they pray. And in his prayer, they don't pray that the circumstances that they're in shall change. They pray that they'll be found faithful in whatever circumstances they are there. I mean, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. I mean, I, I'm always tempted to, I want my circumstances to change to be, to be easier myself. But maybe my first reaction should be, whatever they are, help me be faithful and courageous in the circumstances you've put, them, put me in. I mean, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for the change in circumstances. Um, we live in a broken, sin-stained world, and we need to continually ask God to make, make it on earth as it is in heaven. But maybe our first reaction should be, whatever, whatever this is happening, God, how can I be faithful in this moment, in these circumstances? So Paul sums up the two paths that lay before him with a wonderful brevity that would make an English teacher proud. For me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. This is kind of his thesis statement of the book. He's going to unpack this for the whole rest of the letter. It's even better in the Greek because the, word, the Greek word for Christ and the Greek word for gain rhymes, and it's alliterative. And for a people that mainly heard the word, they didn't read it, this helps cement the idea in their head. Um, the sentence sums up everything he's telling the Philippians church. It's why he can sing hymns in prison. It's why he can care more about Christ's reputation than his own. It's why he can rejoice even when other preachers are trying to cause him, him problems. So he's going to, it's, it's been his life from the Damascus, or Damascus Road all the way to this point. This is Paul in his older years. He has, he has been through, he's been through a lot at this point. He goes on to, to kind of to flesh it out a bit. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means f- more fruitful work for me. I don't know which, which I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You know, to live as Christ. Paul sees the usefulness of him, him being here and ministering to the people. He sees, and in particular, he sees the Philippian church, and he longs to go see them and encourage them. But then to die is gain. You know, Paul is longing to step into eternity with Christ. I mean, this is not a death wish. This is not dissatisfaction with his life. This is Paul anticipating the reward that has been in front of him for his, his entire life. I mean, you may sense a little of the weariness maybe in his voice, because like I said, he's been through a lot. You know, he, he told the Corinthian church all he's been through. You know, he's been beaten with rods several times. He's, he's been stoned. He's been um, cold, hungry. He's, he had to let, be let out a window in a wall to escape a city. I mean, he's been shipwrecked three times. I mean, who gets on the ship after the first one? But 
He spent a night at sea after shipwreck once, night and a day. Paul has run his race well, and he anticipates the finish line, but he wants to be faithful to whatever God chooses in this moment. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and the joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So again, we hit on yet another one of those themes that are going to keep on occurring, the advancement of the gospel. Paul is willing to suffer through imprisonment, so it advances. He's willing to suffer um, harm to his reputation. He's, he's, he's willing to wait longer for the eternal reward that he has because if he has work here for God to do, he's willing to, he's willing to be used in that way. For Paul to live as Christ means a life being Christ's witness wherever he places him. And let's just finish up. Let's go back to the main, Paul's main point because I think this is important. This is Paul's mission statement for his life. And it's, it's worth us considering even in our own lives. How, how we fill in that first blank is how we can fill in the second blank. I mean, for the person who is not a follower of Christ, the first blank, you have the option to put anything in and you want. You can choose security, you can choose wealth, you can choose reputation, recognition, comfort. But if the first blank is in Christ and the second blank is already set for us, or set for you, the, the, the person who's not, a committed, who's not a follower of Christ, who's not committing his life to Christ, the second one is not gain. Because Paul says often in his, epistle, his letters, even the book of Hebrews, it says, you know, we're appointed to die once, and then there's a judgment. I mean, we live lives... Um, amassing this debt of sin, and we will all face that at the end. And there's only one way past that, as we sing about earlier, thankful that Christ has paid that debt. So the Christian, the debt has been paid. The non-Christian, it has not. For the Christian to fill in this is actually easy because Paul has already filled it in for you. The hard part is living it out. The hardest part is living it out. I mean, thankfully for us, we will spend the rest of this letter, Paul is going to be talking about what that looks like. What does it mean to live as Christ? What does it mean to be faithfully being a witness wherever we're placed? What does it mean to be growing in the faith? Who is the example we need to look towards? You know, I encourage everyone to read ahead in the upcoming weeks. You know, the book of Philippians is, a, is, is fairly short. In fact, I like to listen to it on my drive. It's only 15 minutes. You could listen, I've been trying to listen to it every day when I go to work, sometimes choosing different, different versions, I mean different translations. But you, you hear something a little different every time you start to pick up some of the themes easier. It'd be good prep work as we go through the rest of this book. Paul will send us out with this encouragement. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or, or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. The people of the, the church in Philippi are also suffering for Christ at this point. There are also pressures. 
And so for the rest of the letter, Paul is going to be unpacking that and giving them encouragement to live. Not unlike us in our lives. We have different pressures. We have different things we suffer. We have different, um, we're at different you know, joints of the, points of that journey. We need to hear the reminder of it's worthwhile and what it means to, to live as Christ. All right. So I'll close this up in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the example and the words that you've spoken through Paul. We thank you that Christ has paid our debt. That for those of us who live as Christ, then death is gain. And our life as well is gain because you will continue to use us. You will be continue to lavish us with grace and mercy. So we pray as a church that would be our goal. Pray as a church that we would be faithful. Pray as a church that we can be a, a living witness to the world around us. So we thank you for this opportunity this morning to hear. We pray that this upcoming week you will bring um, this truth to our mind. You continue to remind and encourage us and that you would be um, glorified by all we do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.